Seemingly a lifetime ago on this show, I talked about how the transfer portal would be more impactful than NIL when it comes to how college football plays out. And that is coming to fruition for two teams in particular in 2022 in the Pac-12. Let's go. We're locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions, which is why, if you're not one of the many people who I appreciate already, who have liked, comment, and commented, and subscribed wherever you're listening to or watching the show, please continue to do so. It helps tremendously. Today's episode is brought to you by upside download the free upside app use promo code locked one word just locked to get five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more so the uh, exciting weekend of the pac-12 kind of made me uh, think about something because two teams that are 4-0 at the moment are washington and usc they are two of just three teams that are 4-0 in the pac-12 ucla being the other though UCLA is not quite, uh, they haven't proven themselves yet, but they have a chance to do that against the 4-0 Huskies this week. And Washington has looked really good. And and USC, after bottoming out last year at 4-8, they've looked really good. And it got me thinking, like, wow, those two schools are benefiting already from the new NCAA rule that says you can transfer once and not have to sit out a year. Now, Michael Penix may have been able to do that anyway, because he could have been a graduate transfer because he was at, he was at Indiana for four years, but he could be a quarterback for two years for Washington, and it kind of looks like that's what Husky fans might want because he has been really, really sharp. But he's a transfer who has come in, and most of the other guys who he's built chemistry with and are you know putting up the, these gaudy passing numbers so far because their offense has been so efficient, some of them were already there. Most of them, I believe, were, were already there. But Michael Penix... Big upgrade at quarterback position for what he had a season ago with Dylan Morris. Now, maybe the coaching was a big part of why Dylan Morris wasn't as good. But even if you think, based on what you saw from Morris a season ago, even if you gave him better offensive coaching, do you think he'd be doing what Michael Penix has done through four weeks of the season, which is tearing it up, the, statistically the most productive quarterback in uh, the Pac-12 so far? I mean, he is slinging it all over the field, and the transfer portal has allowed for that. And then you go to USC. And at USC, you had a four-win team last year. Clay Helton fired, absolute disaster, blown out by a Stanford team that went on to go three and nine, going to get to them later in the show because they're having some problems. They're in a Palo Alto on the football field. They couldn't stop Washington's passing attack either. I don't see how UCLA is going to this Friday, but I guess we will find out. But I was thinking about USC, and I thought, man, that was a four-win team last year. And you get a new coach, all right, that's usually worth a few games. But they've completely revamped their roster. They add Jordan Addison, who had the game-winning touchdown on Saturday. Why do we talk about recruiting and transfer portal and personnel so much? Because those guys often end up making the big plays. Look no further than the Cal Bears, for instance. Jade Knott, four-star freshman running back, talked about him with John Garcia, who will be on later this week for the first time in a little bit to talk about recruiting around the Pac-12. He was really high on Jaden Knott 
And who popped for the Bears offense and had 274 yards en route to a victory on Saturday? That's why I talk about that sort of stuff. USC brought in more transfers basically than anybody else. Arizona State brought in a lot as well, but we all know how that is going down there in uh, Tempe with an interim coaching staff and such. And it just got me thinking about how quickly the transfer portal is making an impact on game days right now. Not stuff that's going to happen in the future, right? On the recruiting front, that's kind of where NIL comes into it more, is how can you get the best players using the NIL advantages that your school may have? The transfer portal allows you to rebuild like that. If you're at a program like Washington that prior to 2022, before, you know, when Jimmy Lake was uh, was fired as the head coach, they had recruited solidly. So it's not as if the, the the closet was completely bare when it comes to talent. USC was like that as well, but they added a bunch in the transfer portal. And when you have new coaches come in now, what we are seeing are teams with a history of, or at least a recent history of success, are able to rebuild a lot faster and start winning a lot faster because of the players they can bring in via the portal. Is USC this good without Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, and Caleb Williams? No. If you gave Lincoln Riley last year's USC team, are they this good? No. Are they better than last year? Of course. But are they what, we, what we've seen so far from the Trojans through three weeks in the season? The answer, unequivocally, is no. Go to the defensive side of the ball. USC's defense has been forcing turnovers like no other. Makai Blackman's got a couple of those interceptions. A transfer from Colorado. And that's the other factor that's really interesting here. And it's good for some programs. It's not as good for others. College sports have always been designed to allow for the best teams to continue to succeed. They never succeed forever. And that's a pushback I always I, I always advocate for when people say, well, you know, it's just the best teams. It's the same four teams in the college football playoff. And, you know, Alabama's just always going to be good. Alabama's always going to be good as long as Nick Saban is there. USC was always good as long as Pete Carroll was there. But once that person leaves, once the head honcho is no longer in charge, and there's a change in leadership, we see these dynasties or these powerhouses crumble all the time. When was the last time Nebraska was good? Not in my lifetime, bucko. Has not happened. Miami is hoping Mario Cristobal can get them back to being good. They've had like one good season. They started, I think, 10-0 and with, I don't remember who their coach was. I want to say it was Mark Rick, but uh, it sounds wrong. It might, it might be right, though. They started 10-0. and That's the only time Miami's ever been relevant in my lifetime as a college football fan. I'm obviously not that old. But that's still telling because those teams were so big, so powerful, so dominant back in the day. It only takes one bad coach, one wrong hire to bring you down. And there are a lot of factors that that can play into that. But the good news for those sorts of programs that haven't been down for too long, right? Washington went to the college football playoff, was it five years ago, four or five years ago? It was a 16-17 season, if memory serves off the top of my head. So that would be six years ago. And then they won a lot of games when Chris Peterson continued to be there. And then they fell down when they hired Jimmy Lake. But now they're able to build back up quickly because they bring in Michael Penix, a quarterback, and Kalen DeBoer comes in and he writes the ship and he's able to get the players he needs. And Lincoln Riley at USC is able to bring in the players he needs right now. And it benefits those sorts of schools who people still look at and say, boy, that kind of seems like they're just a few players away. I might want to go join that coaching staff. I might want to go join that team and be a part of what I think will be a quick rebuild. But it comes often at the expense of programs like Colorado, of the programs that have struggled for a long time. It now is arguably even tougher to build because 
with that one-time freebie rule, what you are seeing is what happened to Colorado this offseason. And I've talked about it for months here on the show. They were 4-8 and eight last year, which was below their expectations. Things started trending down, and a lot of their best players left. Their number two running back, Jarek Broussard, left to go to Michigan State. They're not having a great season, but they still got two wins. Colorado's got zero, and they're a double-digit underdog on the road against a rebuilding and rapidly improving Arizona team. And you can't have a situation like Arizona where the program gets as far down as you can possibly go. 20 straight losses. I don't think it gets a lot worse, except for maybe 21. But eventually they win a game. They start to get things back going. And they're a beneficiary in the transfer portal with Jaden Delore. It can be an advantage, but Colorado lost their two best corners, lost a productive running back, lost their best receiver in Brendan Rice. And where did all those guys go? To contenders within the conference in USC and Oregon, or they went out of conference to another team that they viewed as a contender. So kids are going to have that option. And the retention rate for high quality players at programs that are down on tough times is going to be even lower than it was before. And so it's going to benefit the programs who have won a lot in the last 10 years and have that reputation of, I want to go here because this team wins and they compete for conference championships and whatnot. But it's now going to get a lot harder for those teams at the bottom to be able to keep those guys and stop them from the allure of going elsewhere. I mean, Brendan Rice is what, the third or fourth wide receiver for USC? He could have been the number one at Colorado but he'd rather go on a team that can contend for a conference championship. And USC is showing that that is possible. I think it's really interesting how the transfer portal is playing into this and whether or not it continues to be like that. And something coaches have to manage now. And something that we all have to manage is inflation because from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside, an incredible app for anyone who does things like buying gas, gets groceries, or ever wants to dine out, which is you know a healthy thing to do. Get out and maybe meet some people or go out with friends from time to time. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back on those sorts of things thanks to Upside. To get started, download the free Upside app, use my promo code LOCKED, get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual the credit or debit card, and get paid. It's that simple. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. That's why Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week, and they have a 4.8 star rating on the app store. Download the free Upside app. Use promo code LOCK to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. Everybody's got to manage the transfer portal. Everybody's got to manage how you react after a particularly disappointing weekend. So the teams that lost over the weekend, it is not all bad news. And I touched on the these headlines in yesterday's show, but I think there's more for each team. We'll start with Oregon State. And a couple of you commented on the video yesterday on YouTube, which thank you for doing that. Love the engagement, whether you agree with what I'm saying or not. I like saying people care about what happens in the Pac-12. It really, really is a lot of fun for me, and I hope it's fun for all of you out there as well. Oregon State missed a big opportunity to show what they could do to a national TV audience, and that sucks. It, it really, really does. And I'm glad that some of you see that too, because it's disappointing. It was the game of the week in the Pac-12 going in. It was the game of the week in the Pac-12 on Saturday. 
and only Pac-12 fans got to watch it. So that's uh, pretty disappointing. The other disappointing thing for Oregon State is you miss an upset opportunity. Could have been the biggest win of Jonathan Smith's tenure. Would have launched you into the top 25 where they arguably should be anyway with that particular showing. Remember, Texas moved up into the top 25 rankings because they played Alabama tight. But Oregon State not getting that sort of love here from the AP voters. Little disrespectful in my view. And unfortunately for Oregon State, it's going to get a lot tougher because they go at Utah this week. And that's just a really, really brutal stretch. And the key here for Oregon State fans is patience. Right. Sitting at three and one, not a bad place to be. In fact, overall, a good place to be. You have this game against Utah coming up. It's going to be difficult. You beat them last year. Oregon State won that game in Corvallis a year ago. The only team. And that wasn't before Utah was the Utah we were seeing at the end of the year. That was in the midst of their run. The Utes were eight and one in conference play in 2021. Their one loss at Oregon State. Now, it's a different environment when you're in Salt Lake City versus down in Corvallis at Reeser Stadium. But. That has to give Oregon State some semblance of confidence, and you know they're motivated. You know those guys are going to be driven to prove that they can hang with the big boys in the Pac-12 and go out there and try to get an upset road win. I don't foresee that happening, but I expect Oregon State to at least hang around more than most teams are are probably going to at uh, at Rice-Eccles this year because it's a uh, a really tough place to play. So the downside is Saturday was ultimately a loss. This Saturday, likely to be another loss. 0-2 in conference play doesn't feel good. But you have to remember all the positives that you've seen so far and don't let them get washed away in playing really tough opponents and really close games. Trent Bray is the new defensive coordinator. How much better of a start could he be off to? Fresno State game wasn't perfect, but you're not going to have a dominant defensive showing every single week. You held Boise State to no points in the first half to begin the season. You're the first team to hold USC under, I think, 40 points, and you held them under 20. That is something to be really, really proud of if you're the Oregon State defense, number one. The secondary looks legit. They are able to get pressure from time to time. A couple of times, Travis Dye gashed them for some big runs, but it's an explosive USC offense. That sort of thing is going to happen. And that was a big hire and a question mark going into the season was, is he going to make a difference? The answer right now is yes. And if that's the case, you have to remember, if you're an Oregon State fan, that that's a USC defense that's been better than anybody in the country, I believe, at least everybody in the Pac-12, at forcing turnovers. And Chance Nolan is not going to have a four-interception game probably for the rest of the season. I, I will make that claim right now. Hot take, I know, coming in with blazing fire hot takes. Chance Nolan won't have a four interception game again this season. The offense is going to produce at a level that will allow them to win. They could very well be three and two this week, but I still like him to be in the eight and four, nine and three range by the time the regular season comes to an end. But patience is going to be the key for Oregon State because you can't overreact and just look at the results and say, well, it's back to back losses. Does that mean we're not going to be able to achieve our goals here in 2022? I don't think that's the answer at all. Let's go over up to uh, Washington State, who also had a chance to knock off one of the one of the betting favorites coming into this year in the Pac-12 in Oregon. It, it, it sucks for Washington State fans. It's a tough game to lose. 12-point lead with just under six minutes to go. But here's the biggest thing. Your defense continues to be what you thought it would be with Jake Dicker as the head coach. They forced plays and made turnovers made plays and forced turnovers at Wisconsin. They did it against Oregon with the pick six in the red zone. That is what this defense continues to be. They are physical. They are fast. 
And look, they, they gave up, gave up a couple big plays late, but sometimes that's going to happen. And I don't think Washington state needs to feel that much worse about their defense. I don't think they even need to feel bad about their defense overall, because sometimes another team is able to just make some plays. And there was a fourth down where Oregon had a chance or Washington state had a chance rather to get Oregon off the field and maybe go ahead and ice the game. And they covered the initial reads. They couldn't get pressure uh, against that Oregon offensive line, which still hasn't allowed a sack in 2022. And Bo Nix makes a heck of a throw to Bucky Irving. And it really wasn't terrible coverage on the play. Like those sorts of moments. Football favors the offense, right? Because the offense knows what play is coming and the defense does not. I know that sounds really simplistic, but you have to remember that at times. A good defense can still give up plays and points from time to time. No one's going to be the 2021 Georgia Bulldogs. That's just not a thing. The other good news for Washington State is not just that you came out and played with Oregon from the start. It's not like it was uh, a fluky comeback or Oregon wasn't playing well. Like No, Washington State made a lot of really good plays in that game. Their red zone defense was spectacular. Oregon had some questionable play calling, but there were some moments where Washington State's defense just tightened the clamps in the red zone, and it was a really, really impressive thing to see. I expect that to continue for uh, the Cougars defense this year. They're at home against Cal this week. That is an early contender to be in the Pac-12 prime picks because they're a four-point home favorite. And I think, we'll see how I feel come come Friday's show, but I'm thinking that's one where I'm going to feel confident in Washington State and their bounce-back ability there. The other good piece of news for the Cougars is that was the best overall game Cam Ward has played. He was slinging it around. The offense struggled to run the ball, but Cam Ward individually with his legs, with his arm, a combo of the two, was making plays. And yes, he had the late interception. He just didn't see the, the underneath defensive end drop to go cover up the screen pass, who ultimately snatched out of the air and ran it the other way for a touchdown. That's not one I'm super worried about, but Cam Ward was making plays, and he looks like a better version of himself than what we saw two or three weeks ago when the season began and was in its early stages. And if he continues to make those strides and be the player that he was on Saturday, Washington State can also be a team that nobody wants to face, especially up there in Pullman, where they don't have the biggest stadium in the world, but they make it as loud as they possibly can. Much like Research Stadium over the weekend, which is not at full capacity, those fans are right on top of you, and those fans are yelling all game long. One more team that lost over the weekend that has some upside going for it, Arizona. Not a good look for the defense to allow 49 points to Cal. Jay Knott ran wild, and he he looked impressive in, in some moments, but overall, 49 points to the Bears. I didn't look to see when the last time they scored that many points against a Power 5 team was. I imagine it's been a while. So important to remember for Arizona, again, patience, right? What are your expectations coming into this year? The over-under win total for the Wildcats was two and a half. They're going to fly by that. They're a double-digit home favorite against Colorado this week. Arizona State is in absolute shambles. Arizona could get to five wins this year. They absolutely could. If they play really well, maybe they could get to six. But I think they're going to be at four or five by the end of the year. And if I told you that when the season began as an Arizona fan, I have to imagine you would have taken that. You got to remember that this is a rebuild. This is a slower process. This is not a reboot like a Washington or USC who can turn things around in, in a year. You have to give your head coach time, and he's showing a lot of really, really good things. The offense also scored 31 points against a really good Cal defense. Justin Wilcox knows how to coach defense. And on Saturday, the offense showed up. 
But if you're Arizona, you went on the road. You were scoring points, and you only had seven in the second half, if memory serves. I believe it was 24-21 at the half. But you put up 31 points on the road against Cal. That's the offense doing enough to win that particular game. Defense just didn't do their part, but I think they should be given time on, on that side of the ball. So all three of those teams lost over the weekend, but they didn't get the full-on loser label yesterday on uh, on Monday show where we've got winners and losers and everything in between. And the reason is that just because you lose a particular game does not mean everything has to be a negative vibe around a program. The loss can still sting. It never feels good to lose, never has, never will. But there are positives within that overarching negative that are important to take away. Okay, two teams this year that look to be at the bottom. That's Stanford and Colorado. Arizona State's down there too. I think we can agree at this point in time, those are the three worst teams in the Pac-12. Colorado's probably last and Stanford, ASU. I'll, I'll take Stanford because their head coach hasn't been let go yet. It's unclear to me how David Shaw doesn't have the pressure mounting with, with every game. And they were mildly competitive against USC. Not really competitive against Washington over the weekend. Colorado, I think the the next coach to be let go, if that does take place, will be Carl Durrell because of how those games are. I, I mean, they've only been in it. They've played eight halves of football this year. They've looked at least semi-competitive for one. And it was week one in front of what I believe was a basically sold-out home stadium. It's not going well. And both of those coaches should have immense pressure going forward. Every single week, if the athletic administrations of each respective school has a shred of a competitive expectation for those football programs, they are evaluating every week and wondering if one particular game could be the final nail in the coffin. I think Darrell's seat should be hotter than Shaw's, But David Shaw is moving into that category here. Before the season, I thought they'd be able to bounce back a little. And they've got a new offensive philosophy that's very RPO heavy. Doesn't seem to be yielding fantastic results. And the defense is still not there. And yes, Washington has a very good passing attack. But when Stanford was a good team in the Pac-12 year in and year out, nobody was throwing the ball on them like that. Nobody was moving the ball on them like that. But that's where they've gotten, and it's not because of coaching turnover. They've had continuity on their staffs on both sides of the ball, and yet they go out there and are not able to stop a nosebleed, it seems. Sure, they've gone up against two of the best-looking teams in the Pac-12 so far in USC and Washington, but Stanford is a team that we have seen get to the highest level of this conference, knock on the door of the college football playoff, win Rose Bowls, Conference championships, that's the standard that David Shaw set during that incredible six-year run. And if you're this far away from that, if you're the AD at Stanford, you have to ask the question of, has this run come to an end? And if this is looking like it'll be another three and nine, maybe four and eight season, are you just going to be content with that? If you're the Cardinal, I don't know why they would be. But I don't get the sense that they have the sort of pressure there. And there's time for him to turn it around, right? I'm not saying, you know, lose this week and, and you know, you, you got to get the boot or anything like that. But the pressure needs to be starting to mount. Colorado, 
they could make a coaching change at any point in time, and it would be a defendable move at this point. Even though their 2023 recruiting class is actually respectable, they've got a lot of names in there. Most or all, I think, are, are, are three-star guys, but that's kind of what you expect at Colorado. There's nothing optimistic outside of that, and that's a, you know a minor positive to be sure, but it's nothing groundbreaking or program-altering to the point where Carl Durrell should not be on thin ice. And I know Buffs fans largely feel that way, and they should, because you have a team that's going out there on a weekly basis, and it's not going to get easier in conference play and they're just not competitive. If this were a Scott Frost at Nebraska sort of deal where you're losing a bunch of one possession games, that's one thing. That's an argument for, you know, give him time, give him another year, new offensive staff. But these games aren't close. And the two quarterbacks who are battling for the starting job coming into the year, Brendan Lewis and JT Shrout, are not playing quarterback right now. That's where they're at. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have a consistent offense. Their defense is getting shredded. There's just nothing to feel good about with the product that is on the field. And when your administration has to release a statement saying to fans, continue to support the program and, you know, Coach Durrell and the staff and myself are not happy with everything and yada, 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 that's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. And Carl Durrell and David Shaw, both more so on the former, but Shaw as well, should have a lot of pressure week to week. And it should be a week-by-week analysis by each school saying, all right, this is another step in this direction. Now, maybe they have a week that buys them time, right? Colorado, you go on the road, you win at Arizona this week. Doesn't matter what Arizona's done the last couple of years. If you win on the road, Carl Durrell buys himself time. If Stanford wins at Oregon this week, you buy yourself a lot of time. But if both teams and their double-digit road underdogs come and get blown out again, you have to start asking the question, when is it time to move on? Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.